0: I'll tell you what, we're going to have another great night. Yeah. Already had a great beginning. And we are going to finish out with Flair. Before we get started, we've got a testimony. Kirsten, where's your where'd she go? There, come on, give us your testimony. So I came in with a lot of back pain tonight. Um, My job has been physically beating my body down. And Pastor Barb had prayed before service. And one of the things that she had said was during worship, the pain was going to go away. And that last song, it just, I kept, I was in the spirit, like it just, it. Overcame It almost knocked me down, honestly. Like, I, I almost backed into the chair and almost fell over. But that's a whole, you know, me losing my balance there. But my pain is just completely gone now. I have no pain. Amen. Now, last week, we had a little different service. And, um, hey, am I loud to everybody? Or is it just me? I sound all right? Boy, I almost scared myself. Um, but I, we prayed with a bunch of different people. I said, you're going to have the opportunity in the next three days to minister healing and the word of the Lord to somebody. How many of you found that opportunity in the next three days? One, two, three, four, five, six... All right. Guess what? So did I. Opportunities present themselves all the time. But sometimes there's an an awareness that we don't necessarily have. And uh, this has nothing to do with my message. I'm just going to share the testimony. But we went up to... Uh, Costco we had to get some stuff and we came out and all of a sudden I realized I had a gift card I didn't use so I figured I'm going to go in and get some gum ran back in found out they don't have that kind of gum so my wife was waiting in the car came out and uh, we're driving home she decides to go a different way so she drives a different way to go home and right as we turned into our housing area there was a woman stuck on the side of the road and as we go by her, I said, stop, stop. we got to stop for her. It's too hot out here for her to be sitting in this car. So they stopped, and I, I went back to her, and I said, can we help you? And she said, my car just died, and I don't know what's going on. I said, I'll tell you what. Let me look at your car. Now, I know nothing about cars. I'm good if I can put the gas in the right end, right? I mean, that's me and cars. Me, mechanics, no, mm-mm. uh When I buy a car, I buy it bumper-to-bumper warranty for a bazillion years and all the oil changes, because I'm not doing jack with that car, right? But being the man, let me take a look at it. Why don't you go hop in my car? It's nice and cool. So she goes and she hops in the car with Kim and... and, uh, I go over to the front of the car, because I at least knew where that was. Figured, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this thing up. I didn't realize how hard it was to lift a, a hood. I'm, I'm looking for all kinds of little levers under there. I think she must have known I was struggling. So she came over and she said, it's right here. Was, oh, yeah, okay. So here I am looking at, I have no idea what, but I think, you know what, God's going to come through in this situation. We're just going to pray and believe God. Her car won't turn on, it won't do anything. So we just laid hands on it. She thinks I'm messing with something in there. She doesn't know what I'm doing. I'm praying in the spirit. Oh God, you know I know nothing. (laughs) I need fire from heaven right now because this car ain't got none. (laughs) And so I hop in it, crank it up, and it starts right up. I may not be the man that knows about cars, but I'm the man that knows the man that knows about cars. Well, we took her to our house. We got her something to drink followed her all the way home to make sure that her car would make it. And then afterwards, I said, you know, I I really want to pray with you. I believe that God just set up today because he knew you were going to need help. Because we never should have been there. Number one, I never should have run back in for gum. That was about a 10-minute delay. My wife never goes home that way. So that was another route that we wouldn't have taken and a 10-minute delay. God knew that this lady needed some help. And then just prayed with her right then that God would be real in her life, healing in her body. And she goes, I so needed God today. So I want you to know they're all around us. Opportunities are all around us. And just want to encourage you with that because we're taking the territory. We're going to take back everything that the enemy's stolen. He's going to repay sevenfold everything he's taken. And that's not a, just a literal sevenfold. It's manifold over and over and over. He gets to pay back everything that he's taken. Now, I'd like you to take out your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2. It says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today... The Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Father, tonight we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the power that is contained within it. Father, I know and I thank you for the wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord as we put you first in everything. So we thank you for your power. We thank you for your wisdom in this night. And we give you all the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2 is what we call a conditional truth. If you do this, then these things will happen. And much of the word of God is written this way. It's written in a conjunctive Hebrew or Greek that if you do this, then this will happen. And so when we see here, God says, if you will, hearken diligently, faithfully obey. You've got to listen and do. Not just be a hearer, but do what I've said in my word, then. All the blessings are coming on you and overtaking you. See, God wants to bless you. He wants to give you the very best. He wants to help you in every way in your life. But it means that we have to line up to the Word. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first of what I call binary truths. And in the first of these binary truths, we found in John 1.14 that Jesus was manifest in grace and truth. That's how he came to us, in grace and truth. Too often we've wanted to give the truth to people without proceeding it with grace. And if grace doesn't come first, truth is very hard for people to hear. Because all they're going to hear is what truth can produce. Remember, the law was truth. But the law brought a, really a, a, a judgment to people's lives. Almost a condemnation in their lives. Now, it wasn't condemning because God said, do this and you'll be okay. He was a good, loving father. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that under the old covenant, he was judgmental and under the new covenant, he's full of grace. No, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. So when we look at the old covenant, we have to understand his grace was still there. He just showed us how to obtain it because he didn't dwell on the inside of us. Now, I know there's a difference in dispensations. I don't want to get into all of that tonight. But what I do want us to understand is that everything that we are and all that we have belongs to Jesus, always has and always will. And we're learning how to become effective ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything. First, we had to find out who we were, to know who we were, to lay that foundation, how to stand against the wiles of the enemy, not allow things to overrun in our life. 2 Corinthians 11.3, just putting you in remembrance of this, it said, But I, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth in his second letter, says, But I'm afraid, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds may be led astray from the sincerity and purity of devotion to Christ. When we think of the enemy, and we think even back to the garden, if you will, we, we see the word Serpent. And and I would like to put this into a different frame of reference for you. Think of it more in the context of serpentine, of twisted. Because that was his nature. He always twists the truth. He doesn't necessarily go blatantly against it. He just twists enough of it to get you to believe him instead of God. Because his whole goal is to get your eyes focused off of God. Whatever it takes. He doesn't want you to see the creator of the universe. Now, we had our little car illustration. We had to put everything in order to make sure that things work. But tonight I want to pick up there, and I want to talk about another binary truth called power and wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, it says, And I, and when I came to you, Brothers did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I decided not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, catch this statement from the Apostle Paul. I would say if there was anybody that knew the word of God, anybody that knew wisdom, it would be him. He understood many things that a lot of people even today do not get. I mean, let's face it. He wrote over half the New Testament. Now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he understood these things. And he said, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. I thank God for that. See, it's not how eloquent you speak. It's not all the wisdom that you think you possess. That's not what changes people's hearts. You might say, well, Pastor Lonnie, I could never get up and do what you do. You're not called to do what I do. You're called to do what you do. God just happened to find in me somebody willing to get up and make an absolute fool of themselves sometimes for the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? Listen, I've blown it so many times up here, I don't even want to go back and think about them, Because you'll preach one thing, and then as you progress in ministry, all of a sudden you go, you know, that was really kind of stupid. I can't believe I preached that at one time. I can't even believe I believed that at one time. But people were listening to me. And it reminded me of when I was teaching psychology at the university And uh, I had had an intro to psych class, and I had a behavioral psych class. And I had some students that were in both classes. So in the first class, I said, I'm going to run a little experiment. I mean, it's psychology after all. Let's run an experiment on the students. So I ran an experiment. During the first intro to psych, I went through all these different things and told them certain philosophies. And like a bunch of bobbleheads there, and they're going. And then we get into behavioral psych. And I told them the exact opposite. Why? I'm running an experiment. And they're all going. <laughs> and I said, guys, you can't have it both ways. I said this just an hour ago, and you did this. Now I'm telling you this, and you did this. Which one's right? They're like, uh... Uh, I said, "You know why you don't know which one's right?" is because you don't know it for yourself. Right. Yeah. If you knew this for yourself, had you actually read the textbook, you would know that what I just said was a bunch of rubbish. But because you didn't know, I could deceive you. Now I'm teaching in a secular college. Eastern Washington State University, go Eagles. And they didn't know they were being taught something wrong. Until I corrected it and said, guys, you're not going to be effective if you don't know the truths for yourself. I got in trouble with the dean of our department. Well, I got in trouble more than once. But I got in trouble one day because I called psychology prostituting friendship. That's how I put it to my class. The dean called me and he said, did you really say psychology is prostituting friendship? I said, absolutely. He said, what would make you say that? And I said, well, for 150 bucks, I'll be your friend for an hour. <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes Can't argue with that. He said, "No." My dad, my dad grew up in southern Missouri. Hate Missouri. And I think he got through high school before he went in the military. But I'll never forget, he said to me one day, he said, preachers, psychologists, and lawyers, they're all the same. They can get up and tell you whatever they want, and you have to believe them. And I'm thinking, well, you just nailed two of my three professions. And he said, you know, all people really needs a friend. If they just had a friend, they wouldn't need a therapist. I've never forgotten that. That's probably where the prostituting friendship statement came from. My class was deceived because they didn't know the truth for themselves. And They were studying in a profession that will charge you to act like a friend and give you therapy Kind of. What do I mean by that? We knew that if you do things just right with a handful of clients, you'll make a good living. It wasn't about getting people well. It was about selling a therapy. I know I might sound like a really bad therapist, because I probably was. Because I didn't believe in that aspect. I believed in giving people an answer that would change their lives. That's what Paul said. It's not about the speech or the wisdom. I just want to know Jesus and him crucified. Don't worry about what you do or don't know. It that does, I'm not saying don't learn more. And I'm not saying get better. What I'm saying is don't let your lack of anything keep you from doing what God wants you to do right now with what you know. See, if you back up to the previous chapter in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, he said, but we preach Jesus crucified to the Jews. It's a cause for stumbling, but to the Gentiles, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus is the power. Jesus is the wisdom. So how do we walk this out? We've got to understand the nature of the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What is the kingdom of God? Well, he goes on, 1 Corinthians four twenty: For the kingdom of God is not with talk, but with power. Amen. So we can say it like this, The kingdom of God is in righteousness, peace joy in the Holy Ghost, and operative power. Amen. That's what the kingdom's all about. First in righteousness. We've got to be in right standing with God. How do we do that? We get born again. Now we're in right standing. Yeah, but I sinned. I had, I had an individual that talked to me after the service, and, and they said, you know, you said don't come to the altar if you plan on going back into the same lifestyle. I said, yeah, the key word there was planning. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go out of here and make a mistake. doesn't mean that you're not going to go out here and stumble or fall. But if you come here with the plan of never changing, don't come up here. Because this is not a place to mock God. It's not a place for the blood of Jesus to be trampled underfoot. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't pray with you. But it breaks our heart to see you go back out with no intent of change. Do you understand the difference? It wasn't that we won't continue to pray. It's that please be real with yourself. Get real. If you really want to change, then come up here and change. If you end up back out there and you do something wrong... No big deal. Romans 8.1 says there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus that walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So it's not that you're never going to make a mistake. I've been preaching 42 years and I still make mistakes. I just pray it's not every day. So don't worry about making a mistake. Just don't plan them. Peace, joy in the Holy Ghost, and operative power. Well, how does this work for us? Let's go to 1 Kings 18. I want to read quite a bit of scripture here as we deal with Elijah. It says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you who throws Israel into confusion? You've got to know this is how the enemy operates. Are you the one that's causing confusion? Are you the one that came to the school and told them you don't want that taught? Are you the one that said this lifestyle would not be acceptable? Are you the one that's causing the confusion? And if we don't know who we are, just like my class, we can be deceived into believing, oh, they might be right. No. What did he say? I did not throw Israel into confusion. Rather, you and the house of your father have by forsaking the commands of Yahweh when you went after the Baals. How do you enter into confusion? Listen carefully. If there's confusion in your life, if you're not sure and you feel confused, it's because we're not following after the king we're following after things that are contrary to the king. That's what causes confusion. If there's one thing that hasn't changed through the eons of time, it's God's word. I can't even keep up, no offense to anybody, I can't keep up with all the things I'm not supposed to say. I grew up in a certain Era where you could say certain things that were acceptable then. Ten years later, they weren't acceptable. Ten years after that, it wasn't acceptable. Ten years after that, we were back to the first one. And after that, then that became offensive. And I'm like, I, I can't even keep up with that. There's nothing in me that's trying to offend anybody. I just don't know the rules of your game anymore because they're constantly changing, they're constantly throwing people into confusion. This didn't change. This doesn't change. Elijah just said, you're the one that did it by forsaking God and His commandments. But I like what Elijah does in verse 19. He says, so then you send... You send word and assemble all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the king. And he's now commanding the king to take action. That's bold. That's boldness. He begins to tell the king, this is what you're going to do. You call all Israel together and you meet me at Mount Carmel. This was their high worship place for the Baals, for Asherah. This was their high worship place. And he said, you call the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at the table of Jezebel. Woo, this guy is going off. He says, I want you to go call all Israel and you get those prophets in here that are eating at your wife's table. Who are they taking commands from? He's looking at Ahab and going, You are an emasculated king. You have given over the nation of God to a devil woman. There's a song in there somewhere. (laughs) Devil woman. So Ahab did it. Don't believe the lie that when you begin to make commands in the spirit realm, the enemy doesn't pay attention. The the angels of God are all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for the heirs of salvation. That's us. We begin to make commands. We dictate to the atmosphere. We tell the enemy what's going to happen. And listen to me. The church of the living God is rising up stronger today than ever before in my entire lifetime. And I know it may not seem like it, but the reason it doesn't is because there is such a battle and such a warfare. And I'm not talking about protests. I'm not talking about marches. I'm not talking about riots. I'm not. None of that. Our fight is not with flesh and blood, but it's against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's where we begin to make our demands. Verse 21, when they all came together, Elijah approached to all the people and said, How long will you go limping over two opinions? They're crippled. He said, Because you're double minded, Pastor Paul said it earlier, if you're double minded, you're unstable in how many ways? All your ways. He looks at him and he says, you're limping. You're crippled because you can't make up your mind. And he wasn't talking just to that generation. He's talking to Israel over and over and over again when they would rise up and fall and rise up and fall. It's amazing how many times a generation would stand strong and the next generation would fall. And he says, how long are you going to be crippled? If Yahweh is God, go after him. But if Baal, go after him. But the people did not answer him a word. How many of you know he's speaking some pretty good wisdom right there? If God's God, serve him. If Baal's God, serve him. Pick one. And after they didn't say anything, Elijah gets into this mode. I alone am left the prophet of Yahweh. But the prophets of Baal are 450 men. Now we know Elijah had a little bit of problem here thinking he was the only one. It's not the first time he's done it. It's not the last time. In fact, tomorrow he's running from Jezebel. man that's so bold, he's just going to do all kinds of things, call fire out of heaven. But right now, he gets into this, nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Guess I'll eat some worms mode. (laughs) I'm the only one left. We know that's not true. God has to remind him it's not true. I've got a lot that haven't bowed their knee. Hear this very carefully. Hear the word of the Lord. There are thousands that have not bowed their knee to the false gods of this age. But they are waiting for somebody to rise up like an Elijah to make a stand before they will ever get involved in what's known as organized church again. Doesn't mean they're not out there. They've been hurt. They've been burned. They've, whatever took place in their life, And all they saw was hypocrisy. Now, I can't think of a better place for a hypocrite to be than in the house of God. Because they need Jesus, like we all do. But listen, there are thousands in our city right now that have not bowed their knee to Baal. But they've not come out of the shadows yet either. They're limping between the lies of the enemy that says the church is impotent and will hurt you, and the power of God being on display. So Elijah makes a challenge. Give us two bowls and let them choose for themselves one bowl and cut him in pieces and put it on the wood. I like the way he did this. Give me a bowl. The bowl was the symbol of Baal. Give me a bowl. You cut that up. If Baal's God, I'm going to make a demonstration here. And put it on the wood, the Asherah pole, if you will. The grove. That's where Asherah would be worshipped. I want you to take your God, Baal, and I want you to put it on your God Asherah and ask your God to answer. And the God that answers by fire, let them be God. You know what the people said? That's a good word. That's when they said that's a good word. Let the true God answer by fire. Power. Power will be displayed before wisdom will be received. Now hear this. I have had this happen multiple times throughout ministry, but we see it in the Word as well. Remember the man that was born blind? Jesus heals him. And the religious people get mad because he did it on the Sabbath. And what do they say? Are you sure you were born blind? The dude's like, have you not been watching the last 30 years? I've been here at your church every week. And nothing happened. So they go and get his parents. Are you sure this is your son that was born blind? Yeah, that's him. But you should ask him. and he said who did this why they're trying to get accusations against Jesus He said that man's a devil he said well devil or not I don't know what I do know is I was blind now I see I don't know what his background is I don't know what his doctrine is I don't know anything all I know is I was blind Now I see. We get too hung up on making sure doctrine. Now I believe in doctrine and I want it to be accurate and I'm a stickler for the word. But doctrine doesn't change a person's life, power does. Once the power is displayed, the doctrine will come. Because, like I said, over the years, mine has changed but I came to Jesus long before my doctrine was perfect. How do I know? Because it still ain't perfect. You go get that Baal God and Asherah God and you put them on your altar. But don't put any fire to it. Then call on the name of the Lord your God, and I'll call on the name of Yahweh. And it shall be that the God that answers by fire, he is God. And then all the people answered, that's a good word, that's a good word. Before they didn't answer a word, now they're saying, that's a good word. Just show us something. Show us something we can believe. So they prepare their sacrifices. I like that Elijah gave them a head start. Okay, guys, you go first. It's going to take me a little longer. There's 850 of you. There's one of me. So you get going. So they took the bowl, verse 26, that, allowed them, that, uh, that he allowed to them, prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning, from 6 a.m. till noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. when it boils right down to it, when they try to rely on a God that does not answer like our God, nothing will happen. I've traveled the world. I've preached personally in 31 nations. I've ministered in 76 via other means. I've been around idolatry I remember floating down the canals in Bangkok, Thailand. And I saw a big golden Buddha. Guess what happens to statues? How many of you know Buddha's bald? This one wasn't. He had a full set of white hair. Some of you are connecting the dots right now in your mind. And I remember saying to my friend, I was with Sherman, and I said, You know what? I'm so glad I, I'm so glad I serve a God you can't crap on. There's that word again. It just seems to keep creeping up on it. You call on the name of your God. Let's see who answers. Nothing. Nothing. So they took the bowl, they did it, they kept going. Oh, Baal answers, but there was no voice, there was no answer. So they limped about the altar which they had made. And it happened at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice. Maybe you're not saying it loud enough. Maybe you need to be louder, for he is a God. Perhaps he's meditating or is using the bathroom." I mean, this is mockery to the 10th degree. Maybe he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep and you got to wake him up. So they called out with a loud voice, now catch this, and cut themselves with swords and with spears as was their custom until the blood poured out of them. The enemy will always get you to shed your blood. God shed his. This moment, there was nothing they could do to get Baal to respond. It happened as noon passed. They raged until the time of the evening offering. Twelve hours, these guys are going at it. But there was no voice, there was no answer, and no one paid attention. Catch this no one paid attention. Even the people of Israel that were gathered there gave up. They're like, there's nothing here. They weren't even paying attention. These guys are bleeding all over the place. Baal's not answering. Can you imagine how much blood was on that mountain with 850 prophets bleeding like that? So Elijah speaks. He says, come near to me. So all the people came closer to him. And he first repairs the altar that had been destroyed. That's quite something. They were so rambunctious, the altar's destroyed. And by the way, This was not the designated place to offer sacrifice... ...to God. This was not the designated place to worship God. This was not the designated place... A lot of people would say, you can't do that here. You're not at the right place to offer sacrifice. You're not at the right place of worship. You're not at the right place. But I would submit to you that the right place... ...to worship, to bring our sacrifice, if you will... ...is the place that God has designated in that moment. That's what Elijah's doing. And I like this. Verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. That's a mic drop. (laughs) Ten nations had forsaken God. Ten tribes had walked away. But God didn't walk away from them. He still gets 12 stones and He recognizes every tribe yet still as His own. No matter how much you think you've walked away from God or how many times you think you've blown it, God says, I still have 12 stones. I've never given up on you. I will never give up on you. 12 stones. With them he built an altar in the name of Yahweh and he made a trench which would have held about two sears of seed. All around the altar and he arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces, <laughs> placed it on the wood. Then he said, fill four jars with water, I'm not going to go into all this. He douses this thing with water. Here's the difference, guys. This sacrifice should not have been able to be Burned. But water has always been symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And he takes water and he dumps it on top of their dead, symbolized God. And he takes water on their cut, symbolized other God. And says, I'm going to cover this with the power of my God. And in this moment, he gets to be God. And it happened at the offering of the evening oblation. Elijah the prophet went near and he said, O Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things by your words. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back again. Simple prayer. Not a lot of doctrine in it. He just said, I need you to hear me. Why? So that these people will hear you. Just hear me. I remember one day I was was at a shopping mall. It was pouring down rain. I mean, just pouring down rain. But I had gone there with the intent of telling people about Jesus. I said, I'm just going to go find people and tell them about Jesus. So I show up at the mall, and I'm just, I'm looking for somebody. This woman comes out of this store. And I said, hey, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And she looked at me, she said, it is pouring down rain. I'm not standing here. I said, wait, wait, wait. If it stops raining, will you listen to me? She's kind of frustrated. And I said, Father... I just need the rain to stop so I can tell her about you. I didn't have any doctrine at this point in my life. I didn't really know what to say. I just said, I want to tell her about you. Will you make it stop raining? And in a 12-foot circle, all the way around us, it was raining. But where we stood, there was no rain i would never seen anything like that before or since. It's like angels up there with this big God umbrella. And it's falling all the way around. But we were not being rained upon at all. And I remember her looking at me and saying, I think I better hear anything you have to say. Power precedes wisdom. I didn't know a lot to say other than, you know, God loves you and he sent Jesus to die for you. And I just wanted to pray with you. Would it be all right if I do that? I know he loves you so much. And, and it's time. If you'd like to give your life to God, today's the day. He, he came here just for you. Prayed with her to be born again right on the spot. Never saw her again in my life. But I've never forgotten Sometimes you hear that still small voice and you don't know, that makes no sense. Listen, that's God directing you. I was coming home late one night from the church and it's so late and I'm tired. I just want to go to bed. You ever been there? I'm done. I don't want to see any more people. I don't want to preach. I don't even like people anymore. (laughs) just want to go home and go to bed. So I'm driving home and I'm tired, and I know I've got to be back at the church at 6 a.m. for a prayer meeting. My, my pastor at the time, I was an associate, my pastor and I met every morning at 6 a.m. for prayer. We did that for two years. So I'm driving home, and all of a sudden I hear the Holy Spirit say, pull over and stop. <laughs> That's where you just want to go, Get behind me, Satan. Why would you tell me to stop? I don't want to stop. So I pulled over and I stopped, and I'm sitting there like twiddling my thumbs. You'd think I'd be praying, but no, I'm a little perturbed. I'm tired. You asked me to pull over. You're not saying anything. Five minutes go by, and I hear the Holy Spirit say again, Okay, you can go home now. What was that all about? Now I'm really kind of miffed. I could have been in bed five minutes earlier had you not stopped me. So I turned, and I was only like three blocks from my house. So I turned down the street, and I turned up towards my house, and there's a woman walking in the middle of the street. And again, I hear, just tell her I love her. Roll down my window, Drove very slowly right up next to her and I said, I'm sorry to bother you, but God wants me to tell you he loves you. And she lost it. Just started weeping. I said, are you, are you okay? And I mean uncontrollable weeping. And I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. It's late at night. Here's this woman. She's crying. I, I don't know what to do. I mean, I've been married now for nearly 40 years, and when my wife cries, I still don't know what to do. I wasn't married then. I really didn't know what to do. And I said, what can, can I pray with you about something? I'm not hearing anything from God. He just said, tell her you love her. And she goes, you know, I was walking here. My husband said he wants a divorce. He kicked me out of the house. And I came, I was ready to kill myself. And I cried out and I said, God, if you really love me, send somebody to tell me you love me. And in that moment, she knew God was real. But had I not listened and pulled over for five minutes and waited, I'd have never seen her. Sometimes that still small voice might be your Mount Carmel. It might be the moment that you can call fire from heaven, if you will, and make an impact in somebody's life. Because the world's crying out, yeah, the God that answers with power, that's the one we'll serve. And right now, the only one they've seen is the one that has been telling them what they should believe. We've got the power. Kingdom of God's in righteousness. We got that one nailed. Peace. We're walking in the peace of the Holy Spirit. A peace that passes understanding. Joy. Unspeakable and full of glory. And operative power. Listen, we've got three of the four down. God's just waiting for us to stand up in operative power. Will you do it? Will you say, here am I, send me. It's not about how much doctrine you know. It's not about how eloquent you speak. It's not about the wisdom you might present. It's in who you know and the power you represent. And it might be just a smile at work that opens the door. might be just a handshake might be putting your arm around somebody oh you can't do that anymore yeah you can if god tells you you can you can well hr oh, shh, 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 shh. too much bail speaking there too much too much if you're really concerned about it say can i give you a hug I'm the kind of guy, I got in trouble all the time. Why? Because I just hug everybody. Should have seen the first guy I kissed. No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't no old lip lock thing. Just came up and gave him a kiss on the cheek and said, I want you to know God loves you. The word said, greet one another with a holy kiss. I just took it at that and said, I'm going to do it. Why? I didn't know any better. Nobody was gonna get mad at that point in time. He thought I was a little strange. But a couple years later he said, you know, that really changed my life that day. I didn't do it to everybody. Dear Lord, I've been around a lot of you. I haven't kissed Pastor Paul yet. I'm too afraid of Jennifer. <laughs> Amen. Let's stand up. If we want to reach the world with the gospel, then we can't be afraid to show His power. And the power isn't just what you think. It's not just calling fire from heaven. It's walking in the authority and the anointing that you have. It's walking in what He's already given to you. It's walking in what you do know. I've had people say to me, Pastor, I don't think we want that kind of people in, my, in our church. That really broke my heart. I did street ministries for years. One day, I heard some elders in my church, and they, these guys that I just won to the Lord on the street, they came in and They sat down. How many of you know they might not smell like you do? They don't have the Versace, Armani, Gucci. They came up to me after service and they said, Pastor, we, we really don't think those are the kind of people we should have in our church. I said, really, why is that? You have to understand, these were elders of mine. I wanted to slap myself. I said, why is that? And they said, well, you know, I don't think they understand our message of faith and prosperity. I was so grieved. So you know what I did? I went out and I found a bunch more. And I brought them to church the next week. And I ushered them in and sat them next to them. And I know they didn't smell good. Why? Because I brought them in my car. A couple weeks later, I had some people leave my church. Former elders, if you will, because God was just cleaning house because that spirit couldn't stay there. I didn't have to fire anybody, didn't have to remove them. I just had to love people. It's amazing. It's amazing how things just kind of sort themselves out. Sometimes I have to be reminded of that. No, God's bigger than this. Lonnie, where'd your head go? Silence yourself and listen to His voice. Just silence yourself. And I remind myself, if that was my son or my daughter, or my brother or my father or my aunt, uncle how much would I want somebody to touch them with Jesus I just believe somebody's probably praying for them because that's why you came across them and you are the answer to somebody's prayer. You are the fire from heaven that they've been praying for. The false gods in that person's life will leave because they'll see power. It's in you already. You possess it. Father, tonight, Grip our hearts with your word, your love, your compassion. Help us to see the world through your eyes. Help us to see your heart for the lost. Father, those that are so easily, it's so easy sometimes for us to look at and to make fun at or to ridicule or to mock they're your children. You love them. You, your word says that you love them so much you sent Jesus to die for them. May we close our mouths and close our lips to the ridicule and the mocking and the, so that only the word of the Lord can flow out. May we be the fire that is the answer to somebody else's prayer. May we be the fire Changes a life for all eternity. Thank you for believing in us enough to send us with the word that we do have, the smile that we possess, the hug that somebody needs. A few weeks back, I asked you to get one person in your heart that you'd be praying for and believing God for. I want you to do one other thing. Tonight we're going to do something a little different. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, I'm going to pray with you that you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Because I don't like to close out any service without doing that, even though I may know most of you. But if there's anybody that doesn't know Jesus, I don't want you to leave any service without having the opportunity to say, I need a change in my life. And if that's you, and you're here tonight, I want you just to look at me, just wave at me, and say, that's me, pray with me tonight. And I'll pray with you, because I don't want to miss anybody. But here's how I would like to wrap tonight up. We've watched God have a display of power. This was my message last week, by the way. But God decided to show up and just have a display of power. (laughs) Now, here's what I want you to do I want you to look around you, and you see every chair that's empty. Those chairs are reserved for unredeemed men and women of God. They don't know it yet, but they're going to be sitting in those chairs they don't even know tonight that they're going to be here next month or in two months or three months or four months or by the end of the year. These thousand don't know that they're going to be here yet. So what I want you to do is I want everybody in here to find two, three chairs that you can lay your hands on tonight. And we're going to start praying for those that don't know. We're just going to pray. It's going to be short. Don't worry, it's going to be short. But you just find... A chair, two, three, that you can lay hands on. These are reserved for those that don't even know they need to be in the house of God yet. And you pray in the way that you know. Father, right now, we speak to those that don't even know you. Father, we speak and we command. We command the enemy to let them go in our city. You will not, you will not prevail in this city We are the church of the living God. And these seats have been reserved for those that are yet redeemed. They're just not aware of the redemption that was purchased for them. So experientially, Father, we pray for them that they might come into the house of God to know you in a real way. We thank you for them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. I've kept you a bit long tonight. But don't forget the chair you prayed over. Don't forget it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, as we leave this place, we do not leave your presence. We thank you that we carry your anointing. Help us to keep our eyes open to those that need the fire of God in their life. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Amen. God love you all. Bring somebody with you Sunday, and we'll see you Sunday morning.